Hello and welcome to the Hoopla Impro podcast, the podcast all about the who, what and where of improv. My name's Leo Maxwell and each week I'll be interviewing great improvisers to get their top tips, favourite exercises and even the odd bit of juicy improv goss along the way. My guest for this episode is BBC writer, performer and all-round sketch maestro Gemma Arrowsmith. Gemma has written and starred in the Emmy-nominated Tracy Ullman Show, Tracy Breaks the News, News Jack and The Now Show, among many others. This episode is perfect for any aspiring sketch writer, as Gemma talks about writer's briefs, namely how restrictions can actually free you up creatively, the difference between writing for US and UK TV, and whether you can predict if a sketch will get 35 million views. She also discusses her role as script editor for Newsjack and gives some amazing tips on how you can give your sketch the best possible chance of making it to broadcast. Enjoy. Gemma Arrowsmith, welcome to the Hoopla Impro podcast. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me. How are you doing today? How are you doing? I am okay. We are in lockdown, of course. Um, This is week 10 as we are recording this, I think, of of lockdown. So uh, I'm doing okay. In the first week of lockdown, I recorded an episode of The Now Show remotely using the very equipment I'm talking into now. So hopefully I'm coming through loud and clear to everybody uh, because it's BBC approved uh, equipment. (laughs) Okay, that's going to really bump up this podcast on Apple Podcasts now, BBC approved equipment. How have you found the transition to remote performing and writing it's interesting um yeah so that we uh, basically i did a few episodes of the now show in, in the last series and it was interesting to sort of watch the transition from doing it live in front of an audience to doing it at the radio theater with no audience socially distanced away from everybody at desks mm. to recording it completely remotely from eight different locations across the country um it's tricky we've been using software called clean feed i'm getting no money for saying that it's just genuinely what we used um which is good so i understand and it it was being recorded by the sound engineer in hove i think brighton or hove and uh, we were in london and and scattered across and it was like talking to somebody that you are sitting next to so that's pretty good i know that the news quiz because that's not scripted that's chat. They record via clean feed, but they also have a Zoom call up at the same time so that they can get that kind of more bantery interaction. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it, that's doing very well. I think um, radio and podcasting are kind of coming into their own as something that can continue during lockdown a lot easier than television can. Although um, you might have seen in the last week, I'm not sure when this is going out, but in the last week as we're recording this, um, the government have said that television can resume recording and you know i'm fascinated to know how how for a start the first thing that happens on a day's recording on television is you go into hair and makeup and have people physically touch your face and hair so i I, for ages sometimes if you're having prosthetics or already extensive makeup you'll be there for over an hour how on earth can you socially distance hair and makeup i don't know so that'll be interesting A, a, a comedy writer a colleague of mine said that they think that's because the government think that hair and makeup just consists of someone dusting their nose before they go live for an interview outside the Houses of Parliament, not <laughs> sort of a really extensive bit of prosthetic or something for a sketch show. So we just have different ideas about what hair and makeup is. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't done any TV since uh, lockdown, as you might understand, as you might guess. So. It remains to be seen how television recovers. It's been really interesting watching the television that has gone out under lockdown, hasn't it? You know, we had uh, the, what was it, the Big Night In, which was put together by Children in Need and Comet Relief together, um, which was, I I teach sketch comedy for Hoopla, so it's really interesting to watch these sketch characters come back. So we had Catherine Tate in Little Britain and do socially distanced sketches. Quite interesting. So using using the medium of Zoom calls and things like that. There was one with David Tennant and Catherine Tate, which was via, via a Zoom call, which was quite clever. So it's interesting to see how television will adapt. Obviously, Have I Got News For You still going on. That's being done, I believe, via Zoom, um, which is uh, interesting. It's really interesting 
seeing shows that rely on studio audiences and the rhythm of having studio laughter adapt to having no laughter. I think some have weathered it better than others. I think Stephen Colbert is doing brilliantly, yeah. uh, doing his a late show instead of the late show, which is quite nice. Um, he's doing great. He's such a brilliant vaudevillian performer that he, he can just hold the, instead of getting nervous that the audience isn't laughing, he'll hold these pauses for ages in a way I deeply admire. And, you know, his dog will walk into shots. So it's all good. It's uh, He's doing very well. But, yeah, it's an interesting time for television and radio. So that was a very long, windy answer to one question. That was the perfect answer. That Because it, <laughs> it means I have to talk less, which is what okay, the listeners good. are wanting. Um, <laughs> do you think, talking about how television is now going to attempt to get into production with things, does that spur your writer mind of oh what sketches can i write which will have socially distanced characters that's that's a really good question so um one of the things about the sketch course that i run um and particularly level two and three which is radio and television is we look at briefs writers briefs that go out for actual radio and, and television shows and what i've discovered while while teaching this actually is that restriction actually frees you up in some ways if you're told to write a sketch about literally anything at all ever that's too big it's too much and you just can't start thinking whereas if you're told to write a sketch that takes place on a pirate ship and ends with an explosion or you're told to write a sketch uh, about a person walking their dog and they discover a dead body or a sketch that's set in a pub and a fight has to break out that give that restriction it's it's meaning you've got less to work with but actually it frees you up in a lot of ways so i think in answer to your question, yes, um, I think we will see, we definitely will see sketch shows and sitcoms and other things being recorded via uh, lockdown restrictions. I mean, already there's, I forget the name of it already, but there's a sitcom that is being recorded and it's about, what I love is it's about furloughed actors and you go, how many actors are furloughed? Like, you know, all actors, like the tiniest proportion of actors are going to be furloughed uh, because most actors are self-employed. Anyway, I thought that was quite funny, but it stars David Tennant and someone. Anyway, you'd have to uh, look it up, but that's being recorded, I think, at the moment. And that's a sitcom. So hugely ambitious, not even sketches, a, a, a full sitcom with half, presumably half hour story arcs, at least. Uh, I'm not sure how it works across the series, but yeah, I think we definitely will see uh, we will see programs weathering the storm very well, I suspect. So I, during lockdown, was approached to write on a sketch show that was being pitched to ITV. It is not going ahead. Uh, I won't say the name of it, but I will talk about the um, the brief, which was they wanted to get out a really really fast response. Uh, to the lockdown it was literally in the in the first couple of weeks uh, and we had to write sketches with a very very tight restriction of it has to be written to be performed by people who will reasonably be living together so it can be like one or two people maybe three but they have to be socially distanced in the sketch uh, and it has to be filmable on very simple equipment like an iphone um in in a home using just costume and props that are you might reasonably expect someone to have in their home so you can't say right and a knight wearing chainmail. well how, how many actors are going to have that maybe some <laughs> maybe. maybe some who knows actors have a lot of nonsense <laughs> and props in their flat who knows but it has to be sort of reasonable reasonable accommodation for that um one of the things they said was if we can't if you you want more uh, characters and you want more props and things that you wouldn't find in a home we can also look at animation that's going to be interesting to see as well if if we see more animated and cgi things um taking the place of physical people in a room <laughs> um so that was an interesting it was really fun i really enjoyed writing sketches for that actually i'm definitely going to use that brief in future in classes because it's an interesting brief to write for even though the show itself didn't go ahead but i wrote i wrote a nice sketch i thought for it which was a, a, a socially distant mugging taking place and someone going throw me your wallet which i think's a nice it's a nice idea i right? love that yeah <laughs> i love that <laughs> there's also the follow-up was a, a, a socially distant baptism which has actually happened now i had a joke about someone being uh, baptized using a, a squirty gun like a, a water pistol and i have seen photos of that literally happening now yes i think right? I've seen, i think i've seen the pope do that 
Has he? Yeah, I the Pope is the Pope is like just looks like he's let off the leash with this squirting <laughs> gun. Great. So there you go. Well, so there's there's a thing that you write sketches in the first couple of weeks of lockdown, and then a few weeks later, those things are actually happening. It's quite a funny idea. So yeah, I think I think TV and radio will weather the storm. Of course, it's going to be tough tough times. So for example. A lot of people that work at big companies like the BBC are self-employed but paid via PAYE, which means they are not eligible for the government's self-employed income support scheme. So there's all these things. Television is going through a rough time generally because of COVID, because a lot of the people who work for television are people who fall through the cracks in the government help. So yeah, it's going to be, it's a tough time for the industry. Let's not, uh, I've been positive, so I want to just add tag on a little bit of negative, but this is a rough time for the arts, definitely. Yes. So in order to segue slightly away from all that that's contemporary and get into what you touched on before about your classes and what you teach with Hoopla. Yes. And talking about those sketches that you were saying there really takes me back to when you taught me sketch comedy and how incredible it was when we'd have a brief to write something, we'd come to class, present it, and you would make a couple of tweaks and take a sketch that could be quite mediocre and make it really... Um, really fantastic and lovely to perform. What is it in a sketch that you look for that you can see has promise? A good question. I, I think, I mean, I, my instinct is to say that it's got something to say, like the sketch has something to say. And by that, by the way, I do not mean that it needs to be the most incisive, uh, you know, satirical, political, sketchable time, but it's it's sort of, it's saying something. It's, uh, even if that thing is very silly and that it's got a very clear voice, authorial voice about it. So I've been watching a lot of, uh, going back, I think it's partly due to lockdown, I've been watching a lot of uh, sitcoms back and the first episodes of the best sitcoms of all time tend to be incredibly strong. And the opening, if you finish all 11 seasons of Cheers, it's something like 273 episodes. And then you go back and you watch episode one. You you don't go, wow, it's so different. You go, oh, it's exactly the same. They hit their stride straight out of the gate. It had such a strong authorial voice. Now, I know that's a, a sitcom and we're talking about sketches, but that's probably what I look for, that there's a really strong authorial voice that you, you know what you want to say, you know what you want this sketch to do, and then it does it. It doesn't beat around the bush. It doesn't take until page three to get to the point. It's straight out of the gate. You're doing who, what, where in your first few lines. The game of the scene immediately starts after that. It builds, it builds, it builds it escalates and then it pays off we talk about that as being the shape of the sketch all the time um but yeah it should it should feel like you should feel comfortable with the author another thing i watched i've re-watched in lockdown is press gang which i don't know whether i was obsessed with press gang the, I, I do have obsessions and then bore my students with those particular things i remember one year i was re-watching all of star trek next generation so everything i was saying was like in star trek next generation this so press gang i've rewatched and that you feel so comfortable with Stephen Moffat as a writer straight from like the first five minutes. It, it You just feel, oh, he knows what he's doing. I feel comfortable. This is not going to be chaotic. It's not going to have loads of offshoots that never get resolved. This is going to be neat, clean, lean writing. And he knows what he's doing. And I think that's what I sort of look for in a sketch. Incredibly lean writing. Every line of it is, is doing some heavy lifting. Bearing in mind, in sketch comedy, we've got two to three minutes to tell a story. We haven't even got the, the luxury of a 28-minute sitcom episode, or in the case of Cheers, because it's American network television, 22 minutes. That's incredibly tight writing. We've got even less time than that. Two to three minutes, that's so little time to tell a story. So as I always say, there are no subplots in sketches. There are no B-plot or C-plot. We, we get to the point. Uh, so it's tight writing, lean writing, and a strong authorial voice, I think, is probably what I look for in a sketch. This brings me neatly on to uh, my next point, which is, again, something that you spoke about in class, which is British brevity um, mm -hmm. in sketch writing, because a lot of people must come to you and talk about their inspiration for getting into sketch writing is Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Obviously, that's very different from how British sketch is written. What would you say are those differences? So... I think it's a, the British and American systems are very different. So let's let's talk about sitcoms for a minute. Um, in America, you will have a writer's room, a, probably quite a big writer's room uh, for 
every sitcom and an episode will be written by one author but loads of people will pile in with extra gags and they'll take gag passes on the script in britain we don't have those writers rooms as much you might get them on 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 sketch shows you might get them on children's shows but on a regular sitcom if you look through the history of british sitcoms they all tend to be written by one or two people uh, so you'll have people writing solo like jennifer saunders or you'll have people writing in pairs like goldman simpson clement and lafrene uh, people like that writing partnerships but pretty much Every word of a sitcom in Britain will be written by one or two people. It's not a team of writers. And what that leads to is, I mean, can you imagine if one or two people were trying to write 273 episodes like Cheers? <laughs> I mean, it, it, you get it occasionally, like Roy Clark writing um, Last of the Summer Wine, but those are such anomalies. That, I mean, he that's actually the longest running sitcom in the world. It's more than 270 episodes. It's, it's a crazy number of episodes. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's more than Cheers. Uh, and that's written by one person. But th that's so unusual. So in, in Britain, we tend to have much smaller writing teams and that means that we have and, and lower budgets let's be honest we have smaller budgets so that means we have much shorter seasons overall so we have instead of there being 26 episodes in a season of something we'll get six episodes of a sitcom that's your whole season um and that's where the term british brevity came from we have we just have less time to tell this story we only have like look at faulty towers only 12 episodes i think something like it's 14 or 16 episodes of Dinner Ladies. But, I mean, Fleabag, two seasons, six episodes each, I think. Um, there you go. And that is it. She, Phoebe Waller-Bridges said she's not doing any more. So that's British brevity. It's it's in sitcom. It's just shorter. We have less time to tell the story. And the way this comes about in sketches is different. On Saturday Night Live, you will have sketches running to sometimes eight, nine, 10, 11 minutes, especially the cold open. Sometimes it'll be 11 minutes long, the cold open. That is, my goodness, that's a long sketch. Um, we tend to have shorter sketches, tend to, um, in Britain. Not always. There are some, I mean, look at Key and Peele, some, they're brilliantly tight sketches, incredible. Um, three minutes long, two minutes long, amazing. But yeah, over here, we just have smaller budgets. So everything is just a bit, just a little bit tighter by necessity. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and having said that, I'm going to give another exception. Fry and Laurie regularly did eight-minute sketches in a bit of Fry and Laurie. But they can get away with it, can't they? They're Fry and Laurie. Uh, but I think broadly, it, it's just it's tighter because budgets are tighter. Um, so yeah, we we I I try and give a limit of two to three minutes for a sketch. I think the second you're turning the pages onto the fourth page, I'm starting to think, oh, can we? can we snip some lines out of this because that's starting to feel flabby to me um and i, I script edit on um bbc radio 4 extras news jack which is an open door sketch show uh topical weekly sketch show two seasons a year and uh i when i am in script editor mode as soon as i see something's on four pages i go right something needs to come out of that <laughs> so quite often one of when i'm running the sketch course that one of the notes I will give is, can you take about 20 seconds out of this? Um, and the, you can sniff a whole section or you can just tighten up the language generally, but let's get that down to under three minutes if we can. And some of the best sketches of all time, if you look how tight they are, so much happens in them, but they're really, really tight sketches. So one of the most famous Little Britain sketches is the one with Lou and Andy, where they're at the swimming pool and uh, Matt Lucas, while David Williams is in the foreground talking to a pool attendant played by, I think, Steve First, in the background, Matt Lucas is climbing up, getting out of his wheelchair, climbing up to the highest diving board and then jumping in. And there's this beautiful uh, bit of complicity where the second he hits the water, David Williams is saying the word water. That was just on an off chance, but it's brilliant. And it's under two minutes, that sketch. It's like one minute. 40 or something off the top of my head really really short sketch and it became one of the most famous and it's because like well you can't that's what more do you want to say it's like it's just a there's a brilliant idea um so this sort of duplicitous person uh, getting up out of their wheelchair and doing something very very physical uh, while someone in the foreground argues that they can't do anything physical that's that's a <laughs> A great idea. Yeah. It's simple. It's played out really clearly and brilliantly on the screen. You don't need another three, four minutes of people 
talking about that. <laughs> it's just, there it is. It's the idea. Really quick, get, getting the who, what, where out of the first few lines. The game happens. It pays off. Beautiful. It's almost as if you want the audience to want to stay in that world longer, but you don't let yes. them. And then you cut away and it's like, well, too bad. We're moving on to the next thing. Yeah, exactly. Definitely leave them wanting more. I mean, this is my, I sort of think this about all art. Just think everything is overblown at the moment. We do have this thing called Netflix bloat. I don't know whether you've heard of that concept, but it's, uh, I, mean, I love Netflix. Netflix is funding loads of brilliant TV shows. So God bless Netflix. My goodness. Um, in, a, in an era when it, it takes networks so long to take a chance on something netflix are taking a chance on new writers and i think that's brilliant they are brilliant um that said there is this thing called netflix bloat which is they things are given you know 15 episodes or 10 episodes or whatever and there are a few episodes in the middle that you could maybe lose because they don't really move the plot on very much and they it's sort of just treading water for a bit um i've been re-watching the twilight zone recently and Rod Serling is an incredible, the, the, the proper first ever uh, Twilight Zone, not the 80s remake, or I think there was that an early 2000s remake, as well as the brilliant Jordan Peele one. But there's, there have been loads of remakes, but I'm talking about the 19, what, well, started in 1959, but mostly early 60s Twilight Zone. And um, Rod Serling is an incredible writer, incredibly lean writing. There's, n there's no line that's wasted. Episodes are about 20, 22 minutes. And he can tell like epic sci-fi stories in 22 minutes. So I often think, does your film need to be three hours if Rod Serling can tell this story in 22 minutes? Does it need to? Be? And who's who's flicking through Netflix or Amazon Prime going, hooray, a three-hour movie? Nobody's doing that. No one wants three-hour movies. Cut your movies down, for goodness sake. So I just think most people go, yes, it's a 90-minute movie. I genuinely think most people think that. You go, yeah, it's not, I don't, my ass isn't going, excuse me for saying ass, but my ass isn't going to go numb watching this movie because I've got to sit here for three hours. It's brilliant. Like, it's just tell a story in 90 minutes, like like they used to. Citizen Kane's 90 minutes. You want to see saying you need more time to tell your story than Citizen Kane? Anyway, I, sorry. I, <laughs> Can I say ass? Do you ass? know what? This is a family podcast, Jenny, <laughs> and you've said ass, and um, I feel like you've probably been sitting on that for quite a while. I that. have been sitting on my ass. Uh, <laughs> it re reminded me of... So the film 1917, I think, does a very good job of being mm. quite... It just cuts it. You want to see other things, but it doesn't let you. And also David Williams and Matt Lucas sketch, in light of everything that's going on contemporarily with politics at the moment, the politician giving the speech outside his house with his wife, that I wanted to sit in for longer. And I saw it on Twitter, and I think it's about 40 seconds. Yeah, and I think yes. they get everything out they want to. They say, you know, I was in a toilet on Hampstead Heath I fell in between two men and it was just they do they do the rule of three I think and it just cuts out from there and I wholeheartedly agree with everything you've just said now yeah like it's 40 seconds that's interesting so um when I don't know if you've seen any of the fast show I grew up on the fast show and the fast show grew out of Harry Enfield and Chum so it's it's Paul Whitehouse and Charlie Higson and when they were writing on Harry Enfield and Chums, they put together a a short package which just showed off all of the sketches in Harry Enfield and Chums as a sort of advert. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was an advert for the public to watch or an advert for producers. I'm not sure. But they, this little package that said, here are all the sketches and characters you will meet in Harry Enfield and Chums. And it was just in, do the catchphrase, out. And... Charlie Higson and Paul Whitehouse watched this and went, wouldn't it be great to do a sketch show that was just like that? It was that quick. This is an edited down version of, of Harry Enfield and Chumps, but wouldn't it be amazing to do a sketch show that was designed to be like that? Um, and so that's that's how the fast show came about. And some of the, I think it's something like 28 minute episodes and they aim to have 28 sketches per episode. That doesn't necessarily mean that every sketch is exactly one minute long. Some are two, three minutes, like a regular sketch, and then others are 15 seconds, and it's just in, do a catchphrase and out. And often quite baffling to, to some people. I remember showing, <laughs> I've got American Family in Boston, and I remember showing them in the 90s some of the, the sketches with Mark Williams and family just running with suitcases, going quick, quick, and that's it. Like, it, it's no explanation as to what that is. And there's another one, again, with Mark Williams called Jesse. And it's just, uh, and he's, he'll, he's just this guy in a shed and he'll say, this week I have been mostly, 
dot 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 and so there was one that really sticks in my mind he says um really tenderly he goes this week i have been mostly eating holly and that's the end and that's the end of the sketch um and i used to love that show my god it's so funny i loved how fast it was and actually every sketch show i've worked on and the thing about me is i moan that there aren't enough sketch shows while working on lots of sketch shows so i'm a total hypocrite um Every sketch I've worked on, the producers have wanted short sketches or quickies, something that's less than a minute, less than a page long. Um, and writers overwrite, and we are very dialogue-heavy people, but producers want something that uses the televisual medium, that is physical, that uses action rather than just dialogue, and they want things that are short. And it's like the opposite of what writers deliver. They deliver long, wordy sketches. So that's what I've tried to get across to students as we try and use the televisual medium or use whatever medium you're in. If you're working live, do sketches that can only be done live. If you're working on radio and podcasting, really use that audio medium. And if you're working on television, really use that. I think the kings of this are the League of Gentlemen, who've always been my heroes uh, since I you know, first saw them live and, and heard their radio series and then they moved on to television in 1999. They really, they're the, the, the absolute kings of using the medium they're in. So when they are live, uh, you will see, well, when they started off live in the Edinburgh Fringe and at the Canal Cafe Theatre, they wore tuxedos and they would play women just by wearing a pair of earrings or a hairband. And that's what a lovely live idea that is. And then when they moved uh, to radio and the, the, the town that they were in wasn't Royston Vasey it was called Spent on the town with the League of Gentlemen uh, was the name of the series and they really used the radio medium in that there was a character called Mr Ingleby who ran the corner shop in Spent and he was so small he'd have to climb up curly whirlies to reach the things uh, and so it like, really uses the fact that it's I mean you could, how would you achieve that on television it would be difficult it would be expensive um, to do so they really use the audio medium and then they moved to TV and they really got into using makeup and costuming and it looks really beautiful and filmic and they get um, Joby Tolbert in to do this gorgeous score so they just I just think they're incredible and look at that you know the the inside number nine if we just take Rishi Smith and Steve Pemberton, uh, the Inside Number Nine live special, they really used the fact that it was live television as well and played upon that idea in a, in a ghost watchy type way. Um, so I just think they're incredible at that. So that's something I would try to encourage as well. Think about what medium you are writing for and use that, play upon that. Don't just write a generic sketch and go, right, and how do we film this? Think about how it will be, how it will look. Are you writing it to be animated? Are you writing it and it will need CGI? Also think about your budget as well, because as soon as things go onto television, budgets become, enter the writer's room, basically. If you're working on the radio, can you do jokes that only work on the radio? There's a wonderful joke in the Flight of the Concords Radio 4 series where Jermaine is auditioning for a new member of the band and there's a whole thing where this this guy is auditioning the whole audition plays out and then you hear sorry can i come in i need to use the toilet and the door opens and they've been holding this whole audition in a lady's toilet and but how would you do that how would you achieve that on television you can't really it's a radio joke um there was a show i was listening to the other day on radio 4 and at the end of a scene a whole scene plays out and at the very end of the scene one character said, oh, is, and is that why you've got no clothes on? And so someone had been naked this whole time. You can't really do that joke. We can, but it wouldn't be as good on, on TV. It's like such a lovely use of radio. So I think that's that's something I always try and encourage in my students. Use the medium you're in. Yeah, I think that pull back and reveal, for want of a better term, for that mm -hmm. last gag is really useful. And I think, especially with everything that's going on right now, budding comedy writers... I think it's going to be very interested to hear that because use the mediums and the tools we've got available to us now. So if you've got a basic microphone and the ability to record something, really expand your mind in terms of what you can do with podcast sketches. Yeah, and I think audio is coming into its own. Like You can get pretty decent broadcast quality audio equipment for not a breaking the bank amount of money, like a sort of decent, a reasonable amount of money. Television equipment, little bit different. Um, there are rules about what what counts as broadcast quality. So 
an interesting thing is Limmy's homemade show, which went out uh, earlier in lockdown, like the perfect thing to be making during lockdown. So Limmy's homemade show uh, was exactly what it sounds like. It was made just by him in his house, round and about, using a Canon G7X, I think Mark II uh, camera. Now there had to be apparently special dispensation given by the BBC to allow this show to go out because it is not strictly broadcast quality picture. So it, it looks gorgeous it looks completely fine uh, you would not be able to tell it's not but uh, the, apparently there are there are rules about what counts as broadcast quality and what doesn't um and this isn't broadcast quality you have to spend a lot of money on beautiful camera equipment for it to be broadcast quality television equipment um but yeah i i also have a canon g7x that's i i looked i did tons of research there are obviously other products are available i am not a shill for canon that's it's it's i just looked it up and it was called the vloggers camera it's a very simple uh camera with a really good picture and so i got that um that delivers really really nice quality videos what Limmy use and that's gone out on on iPlayer I really recommend you watch it because it is it really does show you what you can achieve with just a good idea and a decent camera uh, one of the things I always used to watch uh, as the years have gone by go back and rewatch anyway is uh, Marion and Jeff absolutely obsessed with Marion and Jeff that came out in the year 2000 starring Rob Brydon it was the thing that brought Rob Brydon to my attention certainly and it is each episode is nine minute, minutes long nine minutes and there are 10 episodes, I think, in the first series. And it went out in a slot after a quite average, sorry, uh, drama called Attachments. Apologies. Uh, it, was, it was called Attachments. It, that was 50 minutes. And they needed a 10-minute thing to go in that slot afterwards. And Marion and Jeff is what went out. It's a brilliant show. Um, it's about... A guy called Keith, so his name is not in the title. It's about a guy called Keith who is uh, working as a cab driver, as a mini cab driver, and he talks to the camera. He just drives around talking to the camera. That's all That's all the show ever is, just him talking to camera. One actor talking to one camera as he drives around about his marriage to Marion and how she Marion is now married to a man called Jeff. So his name isn't in the title. It's his ex-wife and her new husband. They're the title names. And it's a brilliant show. As I say produced and directed by Hugo Blick. Uh, it was made with a bit of extra money at the end, left over, at the end of filming a show called Operation Good Guys, which I really liked. It was a sort of mockumentary, three seasons about police officers. I, I thought it was great. No one remembers it. Anyway, I've got the DVD of it. It definitely existed. You're such a fan. Um, You're such a super fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so it had a bit of money left over and they made the pilot of, of Marion and Jeff with this bit of extra money. And what I love about Marion and Jeff, why I go back and I rewatch it and I listen, I've got the DVD, so I listen to the commentary of it, which taught me a lot, is it's it does show you what you can achieve with a good idea, a good writer, a good actor, and a good editor as well. It's well edited. Um, so I hugely recommend you go and look. I think most episodes are on YouTube. Not that I would ever advocate illegally ripping or watching illegally ripped uh, videos. I would never advocate that, obviously. I'm no, just saying yeah. they are on YouTube. Yeah, you, didn't, you didn't do that in our class at all when you showed We would never do that. I would no, never no. do that, obviously. <laughs> Quite a funny thing is I've been running some classes for the BBC and I've had to, I've gone, unfortunately, this sketch is <laughs> available nowhere. So I'm going to show you people People who work for the BBC and illegally ripped copy of, of a, a BBC sketch. Apologies, I would love to pay for this, but there is no way of me doing that. So, um, anyway, yeah, I hugely recommend you go and watch Marion and Jeff. It's it's a real beaut of a show. There was one. Here's a little fact. There was one other show that was made in that 10 minute time slot, and that was Look Around You. Both shows are amazing, and both shows went to a second series and were given a full half hour second series, and then they killed that idea of the 10 minute. Thing. And it's like the two things you made were brilliant and both spawned full half hour episodes in their second series. It's a, it's obviously a really good idea, BBC. Why why have you killed something that's delivered two hits? Anyway, I love the BBC. Mark Gatiss says you, you love the BBC, you don't expect it to love you back. And uh that's that's exactly it. I do love the BBC. It's also frustrating. <laughs> wow, that is a great thing for a lot of aspiring writers, I think, to hear. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> if, if we could segue onto a sketch that you have written, um, yes. the very well known, I think a lot of people will have seen it, the What Were You Wearing sketch. Yes, um, for Tracy Ullman. Mm. And that featured in the New York Times, Huffington Post, the yeah. Metro, um, and has like 35 million views. 
Um, something bonkers like something, that, yeah. Bo- something bonkers. And I think it was like the BBC's highest watch sketch of 2017, which is incredible. Um, but when you pitched that sketch, did you have any idea how it would turn out? Um, I knew that... Do you know what? Yes, I, I did feel that if... I knew that the, sh- the show was picking out, with pulling out one or two sketches a week to go up on social media. And I absolutely did foresee that if it was one of the sketches that was pulled out, it would do incredibly well isolated in and do very well on social media because i think it's a very self-contained sketch it doesn't require any other knowledge of any of tracy's other characters or anything that's gone before it's a really self-contained sketch and i thought oh i think it will be picked up really well on social media i i did not think it would go as crazy as it as it did um no but I, i i did suspect i think oh yeah this has something to say i think it would appeal to sort of Twitter and Instagram users. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I thought it would do well, but I didn't, I, you know, you can't you can't predict what will go. I mean, it's, everyone knows that you write a tweet and you go, this is gonna go absolutely crazy. Like, this is such a well-reasoned tweet and it just gets like one or two people going, huh, and that's it. And then, you know, you'll go, I had a new haircut and that'll get a thousand retweets or whatever. It's just, it's, it's so unpredictable social media. But yeah, I did. I did think it would do okay, but no, not on the, the degree it did. It went um, mad, and uh, yeah, in, in um, I think Japan has their own version of Twitter. I forget the name of it, and it went. It did incredibly well over there as well. It's got millions and millions of, of hits over there as well. So uh, I forget the name of that. It's, it's, it's Japan's Twitter. I can't remember what it's called. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. I think it, I knew it would do. It would do well. I was very pleased with it. It's a very tight sketch. It's under three minutes long. It uh, does, you know, all of the rules. It's the who, what, where is set up very nicely. It's got a nice little punchline at the end. Very television punchline at the end. Uh, obviously, you know, handing something over to Tracy, she's going to do a good job of it because she's an excellent performer. Um, so you don't have to worry that a line is going to be delivered oddly or like they're going to put the stress on the wrong sentence or the wrong word in a sentence, I should say. You know that Tracy's going to deliver a really good performance because that's what she does and she's been doing that for decades. So she's uh, she's a brilliant performer. But yeah, it, I, I was yeah I was pleased with how that, how that went. I've had other things go viral for Tracy as well, but I think uh, it was a baptism of fire going into that writer's room because I on the first series I literally just sent things by email I wasn't in the writer's room I wasn't known at all I just sent stuff off to a, an email and I looked at the brief and I wrote some sketches for that brief it was a very season one brief I'm now learning that uh, they on a season one of a brief they tend to not really know what the show is yet understandably because it doesn't exist so they're sort of throwing out ideas maybe something like this but maybe something like that so I, I wrote a bunch of sketches that fit that brief but then I also threw in some wildcard sketches that I think oh, it doesn't quite fit the brief but I do think Tracy would do a good job of this and it ended up being those sketches actually that they really liked sketches that had a bit more bite to them that were a bit more satirical maybe a bit more sort of of the zeitgeist and uh, it was yeah it was all of those that they went for so then they brought me into the writer's room in season two and I was not prepared for the you know how well known these writers so I walked into a room with Jeremy Dyson from the League of Gentlemen one of my heroes sat next to him and Jonathan Harvey who wrote Gimme 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 and Kevin Cecil Andy Riley who wrote on black books and spitting image for goodness sake um so i was in a room with these people and hugely intimidated oh and uh you know people who've written on veep and just incredible incredible writers and me um so that was a a baptism of fire and the different writers rooms have different feels to them but I definitely had to fight a little bit to be heard uh, because I was new and it's like, well, who is this? She's just turned up. What has she written? We don't know. That's fair enough. But I had to, so I had to sort of really make sure that I could very easily have just shrunk back and uh, been a shrinking violet and been silent that day. So I had to really make, sort of have a little word with myself and go, Gemma, you have to talk in this writer's room, you know? Um, <laughs> that is important that you do actually don't just think things people can't hear your thoughts you have to say them out loud um so i did that and i was then invited on to tracy breaks the news which was a sort of more topical version of the same show this is something that's interesting and something that i've managed to unpick via teaching actually that 
I think people use the word topical and satirical almost interchangeably. And actually, the two are quite different. So you can have a satirical show that isn't topical and you can have a topical show that isn't particularly satirical or you can. And they do overlap. Let's not be let's not be silly about this. There's definitely an overlap in the Venn diagram of those two things. But for example, Tracy's Tracy's first show, so Tracy Ullman's show before it went on to Tracy Breaks the News. That was a sort of zeitgeisty show. It was it played upon things that were in the ether. It was satirical in places. There's a lovely sketch, there's a musical sketch about libraries being closed down. That's that's satirical. It's making a point. But it's not topical about that week's news. Have I got news for you is topical. It's about things that have happened that week. So News Jack on Radio 4 Extra that I that I script edit sometimes, that is is topical. It's about things, it's based on news stories in that week's news. It's not necessarily satirical. It can be really silly. I remember there was a sketch in the last season, and it's written by members of the public, uh, I should add. It's an open door sketch show, anyone can write for it. And it, one sketch came in and it was about the International Space Station. I forget what it was. I cannot remember what the, the original news story was. It was something in the news that week. And the sketch ended with loads of clowns aboard the International Space Station, all like in it was quite a scary idea, all in zero gravity, all these clowns. Now, there's no real satirical point being made there. You're not listening to that sketch going, mm, yes, the clowns in space. What a clever thought. It's not it's not a satirical sketch. It is a topical sketch. Um, and then you get sketches that are both. So on again on Newsjack, we had a brilliant sketch come in that was about, this is a few years ago now, it was about a police station in the West Midlands being closed down. And I think something like West, West Midlands had been the worst county for police cuts. It had been hit most by police cuts, I think, uh, during austerity. <clears throat> and this guy had sent in a sketch which was about the cl this closure of a police station. And it was done in the style of like an everything must go advert. It was like truncheons, gone, your safety, gone. And I thought it was great. And that's topical and it's satirical. It's topical because it's about that week's news, but it's also satirical because it's taking a pop at those in power, which is what satire is. It's, it's, um, it's making a point about the abuses of power uh, by billionaires and corporations and politicians. And that's, that satire, it was doing both. So one of the things I, I do say to students, because I do see it in their eyes when I say, oh, we're doing topical sketches, you see some people just bulk or freeze, and you can tell it's because they're going, oh, I, I'm not a great satirist, I haven't got... And the why I try to unpick the two is I try to get across to them that you do not have to be the world's greatest satirist. You don't have to be Armando Iannucci writing the thick of it uh, to, to be a good topical sketch writer. Um, it could be that you write a sketch about something that happened in sport that week or happened in the arts that week. That's that's topical. Uh, it's not necessarily satirical, but that's that's fine. Some people will be able to write satire and others, it's not their thing and that's okay. Coming, coming to, I think writing sketch comedy is about finding your own voice and finding what makes you tick and the sorts of, you know, like Reeves and Mortimer don't write satirical sketches. They write crazy, surreal off the wall sketches and no one criticizes them for not being satirical enough. It's whatever's your thing, what's your voice? But the other, the other side of being a good sketch writer is not just finding your voice, it's finding, it's being able to write for someone else's voice. So when you're brought on to write for Tracy Ullman, or to write for Punt and Dennis on The Now Show or, or whatever, or to write on something like Famalam and you're writing for this cast of actors. It's about writing for other people's voice, not just yours. So that's a whole other thread. I, I got very good at writing for myself because I did a series on YouTube called Sketches in My Flat. Um, and I, that was, I got very good at writing for me and I got very good at knowing what I could do and what I could pull off. And I literally remember sending stuff into Newsjack before I was ever involved in it, just sending sketches off to Newsjack, hoping I get something on. And then I never did, never did, never did. And I had a sort of epiphany one day, which seems silly, but it's hopefully useful advice. I just thought, oh, I need to be writing a Newsjack sketch, not a sketch for me. Um, and it was a real breakthrough moment. And I remember that week I submitted, it was on at the time, Newsjack. And so I submitted a sketch and there was... There were two news stories in the news that week. It was uh, a sketch about a news story about food banks and a news story about Marks and Spencer's um, stores being closed down or something. So I wrote a sketch that 
combined those two ideas and it was like this is not uh, just any food bank this is an M&S food bank or whatever and um, I literally thought as I was writing it oh, oh this will get on I just felt oh this is a Newsjack sketch this, is a, this isn't a Gemma Arrowsmith sketch this is a Newsjack sketch uh, and from then on my success was much my hit rate was much much better the second I realised I needed to be writing for a show or for a group of performers rather than for me then my hit rate got much much better basically so it seems like a really obvious thing but when same with writing for Tracy you need to not be I can't be writing a Gemma Arrowsmith sketch for Tracy she's a completely different performer sure there might be some overlap in our abilities but you know she at the time you look at how she's like a late 50s lady so you can't be writing a load of sketches just with teenage characters in like you have to reasonably think about which character is she going to play her name is in the title of the show like you need to <laughs> she needs to be the focal point of every episode um when it came to tracy breaks the news we wanted jacob reese mogg to be in it in the show and we thought well she can she she probably could play jacob reese mogg but she can play men really well, and she there are brilliant prosthetics. They've got a brilliant prosthetic team that did incredible makeup. But it was something about it. We thought, oh, it's not quite right that she plays Jacob Rees-Mogg. So there was the breakthrough moment. We make her his nanny, and and you know the famous nanny that went to Oxford with him. Mm. Uh, and from that moment, it's like, oh, brilliant. Okay, now we know who Tracy is playing. Everything else followed on. That we had a brilliant guy called uh, impressionist called Liam come in to play Jacob Rees-Mogg, which he did brilliantly. Um, so it is about thinking, it's about writing for yourself, sure. If you're doing the sketches yourself, you can write for yourself. Finding your own voice, brilliant, really important. But then it's also about writing for other people and being able to tap into what their voice is. And the right sort of sketch for Tracy won't be the right sort of sketch for Punt and Dennis on the Now Show. They, they have a different voice. They have a different style. So it's about listening to that, immersing yourself in that. And I went and watched a load of stuff that Tracy had done in the past. We, we know she's a chameleon. She can look really different. She is a brilliant song and dance woman. So you play to all of those strengths. And that's what, that's the advice I would give, really, is um, whoever you're writing for, look them up. Are they a really good impressionist? Are they really good at accents? Are they really good at dancing? And play to those strengths. It's a good piece of advice for if you're writing on uh, Newsjack as well, if you're writing for Newsjack, Sometimes on the Newsjack Twitter feed, they'll post who the cast is that week. Look those people up. Are they good singers? Are they good impressionists? Um, what are their strengths? And play to those strengths, because it could be the difference between getting your sketch on or someone else getting their sketch on. Yeah, that's a long answer. I apologise. That was beautiful. Um, and I think anyone who will be listening to this who wants to write for Newsjack, I think has learned some great things about brevity, about if you see there's a page four, you'll know it needs to be shorter. Uh, what you just mentioned and about the voice of it I think that's so important um, knowing it's for Newsjack and not just for yourself I think a lot of people will probably think if you are if you Gemma Arrowsmith are script editing a, a Newsjack what's the best way to start a sketch what do you like to see at the top end of a sketch that will hook you in okay so for Newsjack I would say what I want to see at the very beginning of a Newsjack sketch is an intro, which is read out by the host, because every sketch on Newsjack has an intro. Um, and if you listen to the show, that will that will be clear. Um, I also want to see some sort of knowledge of the show. So I once had a sketch quite recently come in, and the host host was written in as Ramesh. Now, Ramesh hasn't hosted the show for years. It's currently Kiri pritchard McLean as we were recording this. Before it was Angela Barnes. Uh, before that, it was Nish Kumar. And before that, it was Ramesh. So maybe uh, get the host's name right and don't choose a host from like three hosts ago. That's maybe a good thing to start off your sketch. Um, make an attempt at formatting it properly. Uh, there are templates on the Newsjack website, which you can download and look, look at radio formatting as well. Radio formatting is very different to TV formatting. It's formatted differently. You use different fonts. Uh, and I am not saying that that will mean the difference between you getting a sketch on and not. It's just that if it's all over the place, my heart sinks a little bit. If it's like I have like a puzzle that I have to unpick to try and work out what you were trying to say, that it's a lot of extra work. So try and make your sketch look readable and understandable now i'm going to temper that by saying i i think when you're starting out a lot of people are terrified that there's some aspect of their formatting that will give them away as an amateur um and that's not just just not the case really um i think as long as it's consistent within itself and it makes sense on the page it's very clear who's which character is speaking and what's action and what is 
parenthetical, so telling you how to deliver a line. As long as it's all really clear and I can read it straight through in one go and not have to sort of work out what's going on, it's fine, really. So I, I'll just I'll temper what I was saying before about that. I'll give you an example. We had a sketch come in to one of the shows I was working on, and both of the characters in the sketch had names beginning with J. And after the first few lines, they decided to abbreviate both characters to just J. They hadn't realized that they're both called J. So every character after the first couple of lines just was J colon line. And so you're going, okay, which one is this? Which one is this? And the way it was formatted, it was really, really unclear what was what was dialogue, what was action, and what was delivery instructions so like in the parenthesis angrily or whatever and so it was just like this hard work to read it it was just it took ages for us to unpick what the author's intent was all the way through that's tiring you don't want to put up roadblocks that are stopping your sketch from getting commissioned and or stopping your sketch from getting used just please like look at your formatting go on to the best advice here we go go on to the bbc script library on, on the, in the BBC script library, you can search, they've revamped it recently, it's looking really nice. You can search for TV comedy, radio comedy, um, TV drama, radio drama, children's, uh, and then by date and name and everything. And you can read whole scripts. And the best advice for making your scripts better is to read other people's. So if you want to learn about structure or anything like that, or just how to format, go to the BBC script library and download some scripts and read them. They've got Doctor Who on there. It's got loads of brilliant stuff is on there. Um, so that's, that's my advice. Just please like make your script easy to read <laughs> at the top. Then for news, Jack, write an intro for the correct host um, and have that intro have a joke in it. Because if you don't write a joke, I, as script editor, will have to just write a joke. And I want my job as script editor to be as light as possible. What I actually want is just for loads of brilliant scripts to come in and for me to barely have to do anything and just go, yep, that's perfect. That's what I actually want. I don't want to be doing loads and loads of work to your scripts. I think it's also not in the spirit of the show to be changing scripts beyond all recognition. I want it to be... The, basically the finished article we had a wonderful um sketch come in and it was about the film is it called green book is that the name of the, the yes. academy award winning um it was a really great sketch i thought it was so funny and it was a the concept of the sketch was uh it's uh, important moments in black history told through the eyes of a nearby white person <laughs> so it was a really which is a really good idea for a sketch and it was like a, it was to pitching ideas for a Hollywood producer. And it was like, right, you know Martin Luther King's uh, Have a Dream speech? This is the story of the white guy that built the stage he did that speech on. And it was a really brilliant sketch. Well, it was ace. I barely touched that sketch. It didn't need it. It was bang on. I think the only thing I changed was the name of the writer. It was called to me like David, it's just a random name, David. And so I just changed it to writer so they could cast a man or a woman. And that, I think that's literally all I did. That's, that's all I did. It was it was perfect. Other than that, it was perfect. Um, and that's that's another thing about uh, about Newsjack is that it has a cast of two men and two women. Um, so if you write a sketch that's got seven men in it or seven women in it, that's not helpful. We've got a cast of two men and two women. So have a think about how it will be cast. How will the doubling work? If it, if the sketch does have more than four characters, how will the doubling work? Have a think about that. Um, but broadly, do just try and keep it to four characters maximum. And remember, you've got two men, two women. Um, so it, it could it, just have a think about that. So you haven't got four members of parliament that are all men, unless you have thought about which ones are going to be played by women. And yeah, it's 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 tricky. I mean, I say that I, I was in an episode of Newsjack Unplugged and I played Donald Trump in that. Um, so it, who knows? I did I did my best. It wasn't a brilliant impression, but I, I think it was serviceable. Well, I mean, your <laughs> Theresa May's pretty spot on. So maybe you can just master oh, yes. the whole political spectrum. Yeah, I did do the I did. Theresa May on um, the Now Show for ages. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, she she has a voice like um, a, a boy, a young boy whose voice is breaking. So sort of a 14, 15-year-old lad. That's what I always used to think. That, so it was always on the break. You do it on the break of your voice. I enjoyed doing that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, fun. it's really fun doing uh, the Now Show. As a performer, I have been in the writer's room of the Now Show, but uh, I, I, I'm mostly on the Now Show as a performer. It's great fun to do. Oh, um, God. And a, a lovely thing, yeah, a real a fun thing about 
of lockdown. Actually, one of the, I mean, not, not lockdown's awful, obviously, but one of the good things that's come out of it is uh, I t when I teach, because I'm teaching online at the moment using Zoom, and we have people currently in classes from Norwich and Cambridge and Nottingham, and in some of the classes I'm running for the BBC, we've got people from Germany and South Africa and Australia, and that's a really uh, sort of strange little silver lining of... Uh, of lockdown is that you don't have to be London based to attend these classes and to attend hoopla classes. You can be anywhere in the world. And that's, um, there's something really nice. There's something really nice about that. Having a, just a completely, I've got a German lady in, in one of my classes and, um, she would, at the very beginning of the class, she said, um, you know, Germans aren't known for our humor. And it was the first thing she's like the first thing she said up front. And she's gone on to write some fantastic sketches. It's like, that is nonsense. The Germans absolutely have a sense of humor. Maybe there are cultural differences, but she's written some brilliant stuff. And what's been lovely, one of the things I was keen when I've got this German lady who likes comedy, and I said, I, I want you, can you send me some German sketch shows, please? And uh, so she's been doing that, and it just expands my knowledge as well. One of the sketches I, I show in one of the hoopla classes is a Norwegian sketch show, uh, which one of the Dawson brothers showed me, which I love. Uh, but I'm, I'm really keen to see some non-English speaking sketches. I, I, that's, that's so interesting to me. So I show a lot of American sketches. I show Australian sketches. Obviously I show British sketches and Irish sketches as well, but it's lovely. It's lovely to show stuff that isn't in the English language as well. Um, and that's, uh, that's, a, that's something that's a, been a real silver lining of, of having people in lockdown Sky, I was going to say Skyping in, but Zooming in um, from all over Britain and from all over the world. Yeah, as I, I get to improve and expand my knowledge of, of sketch comedy from around the world. It's great. What a lovely thing. Oh, God, that is just a delightful way to... I think anyone um, who's just been listening up to this is now going to have stopped listening to the podcast, run off and <laughs> jumped on to either getting on a hoopla course wherever you are in the UK or in Europe or the world, or writing for Newsjack. I, think oh, I that, hope so. That, I would love that. I um, love that. Well, if anyone's still listening, we have a more of like a, um, a Gemma Arrowsmith question time now. So okay. I've been asking the improvisers this question. It'll be slightly different for you. I've asked the improvisers if they had a show that they could curate and it was put on in honour of them, who they would pick. But I think for you, if you were given the opportunity, a sketch, maybe a sketch show or just a single sketch that you could do, who would be like your dream performers that you would love to write for? Oh, I mean, it would be Risha Smith and Steve Pemberton, like without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I, there are so many wonderful people uh, that I love. I, I would, oh, maybe Victoria Wood. If, if, can we have people who are no longer with us? Of course It would be can. probably Victoria Wood. But you know what? I'm just going to go with Steve Pemberton and Risha Smith. Uh, if they said lines that I had written that's that's the sort of dying happy scenario i think they they were such an incredible source of inspiration to me before i was heading away to drama school i knew that they'd started off uh, at going to drama school as well and they were actor they were sort of writer performers and that that's what i wanted to be i just think and again just going back to what i was saying earlier they they really they lift every line that they say they when they we're writing for themselves they really lift their own work and when they are performing in other people's work they just lift other people's work as well. I think they are incredible. So it would, yeah, it would be the League of Gentlemen. And let's let's hone in on Rishi Smith and, and Steve Pemberton. I, actually, I do want to say, um, I got to write a sketch with Jeremy Dyson on Tracy Ullman's show. And that was, I, I, I typed on his laptop. I typed on Jeremy Dyson's laptop. And while I was doing it, I was also typing into my phone, oh my, on Facebook, oh my God, I'm writing, I'm currently writing a sketch with Jeremy Dyson, oh my God, oh my God. And Caroline Norris, the producer, wrote back on Facebook going, it's so funny listening to you through the door, being very professional, and then sort of fangirling out on Facebook simultaneously. <laughs> and that's what I was doing. I couldn't believe I was writing a sketch with Jeremy Dyson. I was like screen capped by Jeremy Dyson and Jeremy Arrowsmith. Could not believe it. Um, and this is probably a nice way of finishing it. Jeremy Dyson is the nicest man. Um, he was so incredibly welcoming into that room, which could have been you know, could have been a very intimidating room to go into. And he was very 
kind and warm and uh, you know he's just one of the people that sort of lifts you up uh, and I you don't you don't feel nervous even though he's a real idol of mine you don't feel nervous around him because he makes you feel valuable in the room that you're in um, and so whenever I see on Twitter someone going who's like the best famous person you've worked with I always say Lisa Tarbuck because she was amazing when I did a, a little bit on Upstart Crow and Jeremy Dyson um, because those, those two if everyone was like them we'd, we'd be alright I think Jeremy Dyson's a, a really lovely man really encouraged me and has looked over pitch documents of mine has given me advice and he's just a he's great so you can you can work in sketch comedy and you can be a lovely person at the same time and i think that's a good lesson for hoopla people to take away and i think that is a brilliant way for us to end this chat Gemma. um i've just had a couple of messages from the guys at clean feed and canon that you've mentioned they want your cayman island bank account if you could uh, sure send over i the, will i'll get that across over to them the details for the fees there but um Gemma, thank you so much for joining us on the hoopla impro podcast a pleasure thanks for having me Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Hoopla Impro podcast. For more episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at hooplaimpro.com. We'll also find a great range of resources and other information on our upcoming classes. And do give us a shout out on social media at Hoopla Impro on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time.